You are now listening to My Faithway Podcast. You can now find us on every major platform. And don't forget to visit our Facebook page with live services every Sunday at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you want to become a partner or simply make a one-time donation, please text the word FAITHWAY to 77977. Click send and you will receive a link for further instruction. Feel free to comment on our Facebook Live stream services or visit our page at myfaithway.org. Now let's experience life in a new way, the Faithway. Good morning, church. Good morning, church online. Welcome to the live feed. If you are tuning in right now and joining us live, we'd like for you to let us know where you're tuning in from in the chat. You know, just drop your yeses, drop your amens, you know, give us a thumbs up. Let us know where you're tuning in from. And if this is the first time that you've joined us here in the church, we'd like to exchange some information with you and you get to walk out of here with a free gift. So we just ask that you stop by the Welcome Center and a friendly face will gladly uh, direct you and instruct you on how to fill out the form and you get to get your free gift. So we have a couple of announcements. We have a special service um, planned for today and we also have a special surprise and we are letting it out of the bag right now so pastor um, and our associate pastors as we know that October is our pastor appreciation month so the church has gotten together and has been working on something special for you guys so we have something planned after service so we just ask that church we know what we're doing we know what we've been putting together that we arrive and we have a uh, location reserved for you guys so immediately after service we'd like to have like a little celebration a party in honor of our pastors so let's give them a round of applause for all their time all their love and all their efforts you know because sometimes it's not easy to put up with the church sometimes it's not easy to put up with us right we all have issues that's why we're here so we have um Super Kids, I'm sorry, we have our, a change in our, our children's ministry. Our Super Kids now is our elementary group, and this is in the hallway foyer. So if you have not attended yet, um, our elementary group is the middle classroom, and this is our classes, ages, I'm sorry, grades second through fifth. Right next door is the nursery, and these are our babies up to the age of three. And then on the opposite side of the elementary is our preschool age class, and this is our jam club class. And these are our uh, pre-K through first grade. And we do have an announcement. I know that we've been working, um, and Yanis and her family and her team has been coming in, you know, endlessly on weekends and any time that they have during the week to prepare the junior high ministry. So junior high ministry, I think we announced November 4th last week and we didn't catch it until after service November 4th is a Friday or a Thursday it's not a Sunday so it's Sunday and I think the date is the 6th uh, so Sunday November 6th we are looking forward to opening those doors so this is going to be for our junior high ministry so for, we're very very excited for this and to receive our junior high kids so um, before I pass this over to pastor we have another uh Something special in dedication for Pastor Marcos had something on his heart that he wanted to share, you know, and he wanted to dedicate this to Pastor and for the work that he does, you know, because he never gives up on us. You know, there's the way Jesus never gives up on us. You know, sometimes we go through seasons, sometimes we go through fits, you know, and Pastor doesn't judge. He doesn't tell you to leave. He doesn't shut the door on you. He opens up his heart and he keeps coming after you just the way Jesus does. You know, Jesus instructs us to do this. He leaves his arms open. 
And Marcos has found a song and wants to dedicate this to him. So we just ask that you guys, you know, open up our hearts, you know, and receive the words and the lyrics, you know, as it's ordained up to Jesus. And also, you know, we encourage you just to come back home. Amen. <laughs> well, Pastor, you didn't know what was going on. There was a whole lot of things going on behind doors, behind the scene. Tried to be discreet about it. That's why we're late. And that's why we're running. But uh, I wanted to share something that has been on my heart. You know, we all know that today, well, this month, it's Pastor Appreciation. And uh, Pastor, I do this out of my heart because we love you, first of all. I want to share something that this week has really shown me that the word of the word of God that we get in this church really matters. When people hear you talk and they say, "Why do you talk like that?" Even though I'm a Christian, but where do you learn this? You can always say, Pastor Box and his wife and Pastor H as well. They teach us. You know, when when they hear you talk and you you don't hear a bunch of nonsense, you don't say a bunch of nonsense. You don't talk trash. You face the situation and you just face it. Knowing that God is there. That shows what God's doing in this place. Amen. And this song talks about the Father being being there for you. And I relate it to Pastor Vox. Because we all of us in here can say we've come back because Pastor. You know, the word of God brings you back. He's done his part, and you've done yours. But at the same time, it's the Word of God that keeps us going. And uh, this song just it reminded me so much of you, Pastor. And as a loving father, as a loving father, as a loving pastor. Is he perfect? No. I know. <laughs> he's not perfect, but he's a man of God. And when you follow the man of God, not, not a person... Anything that he that, that you might think, oh, he, Pastor this, Pastor that, you gotta see over that. You gotta see the man of God. And if he follows God, he follows Jesus the way he does. He's a testimony for all of us. He's a testimony for me. You know, I I, I am who I am because of God, but because of Pastor Box as well. I want to dedicate this song. It's not so much a dedication to him, but it's a dedication to God. Thanking him that I can always come back to his house. And he's always welcome you. He's always ready to receive you with arms wide open. Amen.
thank you I thank you for, for the word I thank you Father but in Psalms 139 says that you're in front of me you're behind me and you're in every side I thank you Father I thank you for Pastor's life and his wife Father I thank you for Pastor H and his wife I thank you for what they represent in our lives I thank you for everything that you've done in this church I thank you for the things are yet to come. In Jesus' name, I thank you, Father. Amen. My family knows me, and, you know, I really, really, really appreciate it, but it, it, it is uncomfortable sometimes right? like, ah, no, all the glory to God and everything and thank God for his presence and thank you guys and thank you you know we've, as you know most of us is, we've gone through a few series of challenges in the last year so to know that we're still appreciated is, is huge so praise God well this morning um, before we get into the word we're going to make some time and I haven't met Julie I hope you pronounce your, your name right Dalberg I got it Julie Dalberg and she's she's um, running for state senator, and, um, and I want to say this, you know, for our online audience and for those in-house, anybody that, um, you know, regardless of what party they want, they're welcome to come and we'll listen to them, you know, you know, because one thing before, before I, you know, let her, let her have this place, this is what you guys have to understand, I am not, I don't believe in politicizing religion, I don't believe in Christian nationalism, if you may, but I do believe this. That before all of us were Democrats, or before all of us were Republicans, we were Americans. Well, maybe some of us weren't. <laughs> you know, the, pro- the point is, but even before you were Americans, there was a God. Are you with me? 
And I think we're, we're in a situation where, the, where these elections, and I think, because some people ask, Pastor, what are you, Democrat or Republican? I'm nothing. I'm a Christian. I, I really mean that. And if things shifted in a way where my Christian values were represented, that's the person that gets my vote. They don't get my vote because of what party they're affiliated to. You all okay with that? So let's break out of that a little bit. Because we are li really living in a season where we are fighting for the, s the soul of this nation. And it is a grassroots effort, and it is communities like this one, little, little by little, little by little. And I know, you know, I'm, I, you know a little bit about politics, obviously not as much as you, but I know she has a, you know, a challenge set before her. But at the end of the day, we need people that represent what we value, not what party we line up to. Remember that, church, because I really, you know, I want to be careful when I say this because there's no way this, is, this, this meeting or this moment with her is to influence anything. It's for you to listen because you've got to think about your grandbabies. You've got to think about, you know, generations that are coming behind you. And I just, you know, I don't, I'm not the one to listen to, but if, the way things are looking at you, you don't have to be really, you know, thick or involved into politics to just look at the big picture and say something is off, you know. So open your heart to receive, you know. And we welcome her, so give her a, a Faithway hand clap. And why don't you stand and welcome her to this platform. And there you go. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Release the crack. Now, release the children. I, I never get to do this, so here you go. I'm sorry. Um, children, to your respective classes. And thank you, guys. You may be seated. Um, yeah, this might take 20 minutes or so. Whatever you need. All right. Good morning, church. Blessed morning to you guys and everyone listening online or watching online. My name is Julie Dahlberg, um, and you may have expected, well, I'm a candidate. I'm going to come in and talk politics, and I have this great speech to tell you how great I am and how I want you to vote for me. Not at all. That's not what my message is about this morning. And exactly uh, how the pastor said, this is the, the place we're in right now in society. It is so much less about Republicans versus Democrats. It is good versus evil at this point. Um, my background. And the reason I'm here today is to talk to you uh, about what makes me tick, what kind of person I am, and about my journey, as well as what kind of people you guys are and your journey in this same space, because we should be as believers on the same journey together, right? We have work to do here, right? So my background, just briefly, I'm a nonprofit consultant, professional, have been for about 20 years, grant writer, thing like, things like that, communications. And uh, I've been blessed to be able to work with a lot of organizations that help the homeless, folks who are recovering from substance abuse, um, the military, Gold Star families, disabilities. And so I've been in a lot of different spaces, but my priority was to find out how to help the people right there oftentimes in some of their most difficult times. And so everything is very personal to me. Um, so as far as politics goes, uh, I've never been involved in politics until 2019. Um, my pastor, Frank Pomeroy, ran for this same office in 2020, as some of you may remember. And since he was my pastor and I can do kind of communication stuff, I said, well, I'll volunteer to help you. And that's when I got... I say, sucked into this politics thing. But politics aside, what I learned very quickly in the time that 
you know, in the, in the campaign time and visiting all of these areas and talking to so many people is learning that a lot of folks feel like they don't have a voice in their elected officials. And also that folks in this area oftentimes feel very stuck in a place where they're seeing they're not represented very well. And especially folks of the church, because we know what we believe. You know, we believe in, in life. God gave us life. God gave us life the way he gave us life, right? You know, we're seeing a lot of bad, bad things in our society right now. And when I started seeing that and got more involved in learning about legislation and how that affects our daily lives, you know, once you start paying attention to this and getting involved, you can't look away anymore. You know, you can't walk away and you can't ignore it and you can't just stay, you know, in our little bubble where I'm just going to run my life. So, like I said, not involved in all till then, and then I'm heavily involved. So I got very, very involved, and mostly I wanted to help educate folks to take a look at how we're being represented. So we'll look at folks who are elected officials, and, you know, we think, yeah, well, they're our person, and we vote for them and everything. Well, wait a minute. How do they vote? You know, what are they doing for us? And I don't mean what are they doing giving us stuff. I don't mean that at all. That's not how I think. But... When we trust an elected official to go and do our will for us, because they work for us, right? Um, and then we start really looking at what kind of decisions they're making, what, how are they using their voices for us? And, and for me, I thought, this can't fly. You know, I'm definitely not being represented. My values are not being represented. So that's why I really started getting involved. So he did very well, didn't win, of course. But after that, I stayed involved, and I stayed in this community. I say this community, these communities all over the district of 16 counties. And just really having these conversations with folks, not speechifying and, and anything like that, but let's talk about our values and talk about how many times we look around and go, what is happening in our world right now? And oftentimes, and I'm sure you have too, said, somebody has got to do something about this. Somebody's got to do something. Somebody's got to do something. Guess who the somebody is? Every single one of us. The somebody's me. The somebody's you. You know, we can't just sit back and think someone needs to come and save us from this. We have to be active. You know, we're called to intervene. We're called to be able to use our voice. But let me tell you, and you guys know this, what is the two things you're never supposed to discuss in polite company? Shout it out. Politics and religion, right? It's a masterful plan, isn't it? keeps us from talking to each other. It's critically important that we talk about both. Agree? As a believer, you know we're supposed to talk about Christ, share Christ with others. As a citizen, we have to be willing to have those conversations. But everyone is afraid to have conversations with each other because they've divided us and pit us against each other, right? So now we're unwilling because we don't want the backlash, right? That's why I say it's a masterful plan. So now no one's talking to each other. Everyone's afraid to say anything. And then we keep continuing to get what we have and worse. Do you guys agree? So I can't tolerate that. And for what, what, I, what I have resources-wise, I'm going to share that. I'm going to try and get other people involved. And so that put me on this journey. <clears throat> and so... I'm a support person. 
I'm not a person that ever sought elected office at all. Did not aspire to do that. But I tried to recruit someone else who would represent my values, someone else to run for this seat, to represent us in the legislature that is going to represent our values. And everyone said, no, the incumbent's too powerful. They have too much money. They have too much control. And to me, I said, that's exactly why that they need to be challenged. Because our politicians should not have this type of power and control over folks. Right? I'm not telling anyone here anything, I'm sure, but we see across the board that there's a lot of um, intimidation, a lot of pushback, a lot of, you better vote for me kind of stuff going on. It's unacceptable. Unacceptable. And I say that in a lot of communities all around the district. So I always try to encourage folks to not tolerate that. You know, they're not doing us a favor. They're supposed to be going there to work for us and to put our values into our laws, right? And raise your hand if you've ever watched a, a legislative hearing. Who has the time? You have a little, right? One time? On something like critically important, prob important probably, yeah. You know? So we don't know what they're actually doing until there's someone who is going to go and watch that video or, you know, go to the Capitol and testify, for example. And your eyes really get opened. And, you, and, I, and me personally, I'm like, they said what? They voted how? You know? And that's when you start learning that. But how many everyday people, of any of us, have that time to commit, right? To see how they really represented us. So that's why I got very involved. And, and I thought, and this is me. After that, I, I stayed involved just helping out in communities, educating, helping people understand how the legislators are really representing them. And when no one else would step up, no one else would step up when I would try to recruit, and a lot of my closest, you know, believers and friends, they were like, because my argument, you guys do this, you argue with God. God, you don't want me to do this. You had me over here to help this person. You had me over here in this area to do this. You had me, oh, <laughs> these are my arguments with God. Okay, I guess it's supposed to be me. So then I filed to run. And, um, and that was, you'll get that affirmation from God. Can, can any of you, like, say amen on that one? Because, you know, you, you want to be in God's will. You think, okay, I'm going to take this step. This is what you want. And then you get this monstrous amount of affirmation that you're where you're supposed to be. Isn't that the greatest feeling on earth? It was for me. And so that's what I have seen. And people are very appreciative of that because I'm going to just have a conversation. I'm not going to um, politic, let's say. I want to know and I listen to what is important to you because that's the only way that a representative can represent you properly. So that's why I'm, I love being in this community, having these conversations, and I thank God a lot because, you know, I could have stayed in my bubble too, just like most folks do. Um, but I just, um, I just get real thankful and real grateful that, that I'm able to see um, that I'm where he wants me to be. And I know you guys can relate to that. So um, I don't want to take up too, too, too much time, but I would like to offer if you guys have any questions of me. Too quiet. Too quiet, too quiet. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm.
I'm sorry. Well, I appreciate that. Um, I hate to hear that, and I'm sorry, very sorry. And I'll talk to you after that if you'd like. Um, I don't know how anyone can impress that type of intimidation on you, but I'd be the one to stand next to you while you do speak out about it. Give it, you know, whatever the details are, of course. Um, I hate to hear that. I really hate to hear that. Um, and, but there are many examples of intimidation like that across the board. And, and this is not me saying this. This is, you know, what I hear from the community all over. And that's what I said before. Politicians should not have that type of power. And they shouldn't seek that type of power, in my opinion. Yeah. Any other questions? Okay. No one else? I'm sorry, did you have another question? Oh, okay. Very good. So I brought some materials. I have cards. I put it out in the foyer if you'd like. If you're a signed person, we can grab some signs after. But I hope that you guys will take a few minutes to get to know me uh, after service. I'll be happy to answer any questions that you have. And uh, I just want to, um, you know, leave you with this one thought. I'm fluent in movie ease. I don't know if you guys are. But the one thing I see in the politics side of things, it always makes me think of the movie um, Magnificent Seven. Have you guys seen that movie, the newer one? And so the town has, you know, a bad guy that's oppressing them, killing people and all this, and they go and they find this bounty hunter and bring him in, and he's trying to educate and teach the folks in the, in the town how to defend themselves. And the one thing that he says that I apply to politics in a lot of these communities is, he said, if you want to keep your town, you're going to have to fight for it. Agree? I mean, that just has always hit me about that's exactly what has to happen. Because if we keep doing the same thing over and over again, we're still going to get the same results. And I think by now, when we're seeing the, the nonsense that's going on in society right now from, you know, CRT in the schools and, you know, the gender confusion stuff and the anti-life stuff and all of that, we just think, you know, this has got to change. And we have to be that change. So, again, thank you guys very, very much for having me this morning. I appreciate your attention, and I really enjoyed worship with you today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Well, you heard. Um, thank you. If, you, if she's going to stay after. I'm sorry. I muted. My bad. Got it. So, yeah, you're welcome to stay. And, and please ask questions. You know, questions are important. And, again, you know, you, you Something she said is really important, that, you know, that, that the idea, you know, don't mix politics with God or don't talk about this, don't talk about that. But you got you know, those of you that like history, you know, if you ever study history, the American Revolution started in the pulpits. It started right here. And, and people would talk. And people would have conversations about oppression and about taxation. And, it, and, it, and nobody thought it weird to talk about real life in church. And then somebody got smart, oh, separation church and say, which that's not what, what it means anyway. And, you know, all this and all that, and you can't, that is all a bunch of nonsense to start with. You've got to be able to have conversations. So thank you. Thank you for taking the time to come to our little community and, and being here with us. And hopefully, you know, you can hang out with us after church. And there she is, all right? Okay, let's get into the word. And before I get into the word, I've got to um, give you guys a couple of things. So we're in this in the middle of this series. We started this series last week. Kind of fits in with what she said. You know, it's called lifing. I don't know if that's a word or not. 
But we go there, you know, um, next Sunday, I mean, next Friday I take off, I'll be in, in, in Manhattan next Sunday at Faith Exchange, and then from there we go to Cuba, and then we'll be out. So that doesn't mean I stop, so it's kind of weird. I don't like to have a, a mission strip and then leave this hanging out there. But this is so rich and so good. So, you know, the people that I, that I entrust with this, I never tell them what to teach. I say, oh, you've got to preach on this line. Now, it's up to them if they want to follow the line. But when I come back, we're going to pick right up, okay? Can you guys go with that? Because it's kind of weird for me. I never like to, like, leave series. So the other thing, before we talk to Cuba, you know, those of you that are supporting it, and this comment, I want to say it for the, our online church and people watching online. There's, this question has come up more than once. It says, isn't it illegal by the U.S. government to send money to Cuba? And technically, it's not, Ill- it's not illegal to send money to Cuba, what the law says, you're not supposed to spend American money in Cuba. So when we say Cuba, some people say, well, what, what, you know, we give a donation. How does that happen? All that money either, it, it, most, well, all of it stays in the States. I mean, it's, it goes to a U.S. account. From there, it goes to a Cuban pastor, and it's up to him. You all know him, Joel, you know, our guy. And, you know, sometimes he moves it physically. Sometimes they transfer it, which is perfectly legal. So I say that it is legal what we do, because some people say, because I've had... Somebody tried to send a wire last Cuba trip. Um, I, I shared that testimony. It was kind of cool testimony because you talk about, you know, promptings of the Holy Spirit, and it was like, hey, post that you're going. And I'm like, ah, that's not me. You know, people know I'm not going up there and sound like, oh, please give me money. I don't do that. That's not my style. But, it, you know, he kept, you know, the Holy Spirit kept prompting me, and I said, okay, okay, I'm going to post. So I just, you know, did a little thing. Like I did this time. I said, we're going to, you know, we're going to Cuba. You know, here's the link, follow the link, click on, so forth and so on. You know, just a little thing. Well, somebody that knows me and knows our ministry, he called me. He says, hey, what you guys doing down there? And I gave him, like, you know, the five-minute rundown. He said, well, I'm going to send you $10,000. I'm like, whoa, Jesus, it's so good, right? And, and, and they did. But the only problem is on their wire transfer, they put Cuba. <laughs> well, guess what happened to that wire transfer? It got kicked out. And, and anyway, I left, and the money came later. And it, it was all good. You know, all the money was, was spent in Cuba and helped the church and what we're doing down there. So some people got upset, like, so I told them, just don't put, don't put on your memo Cuba, because if it goes to the bank, boom, it gets tagged, like if, you're sent, like if you could even send money down there now. The only, you know, there's, the only way you can send, you used to, we can't even do that, no more. Western Union got shut down, you know, we were sending money to Western Union. So anyway, I, most of you could care less, but I know some people did ask me about that, so I'm clearing up the air. You will be, you're free, and besides, none of you give any money to Cuba, right? You give it to Faithway. If I go to jail, y'all can, you know, go visit me over there. So anyway, but none of you are going to go anywhere, all right? So be comfortable. You know, Cuba's moving, and again, anything you want, you know, we're doing towards the budget of this conference, and of course, I don't want to go on and on about how complicated <laughs> the situation is down there. But one of the things we do is we, we do want to bless the pastors, our, you know, the team that we, we're working with, the five pastors, of course, you at his church, and, you know, are part of the budget of the conference. You know, Faith Exchange has gone way beyond the call of duty, and so we're still gathering, and right now from people's commitments and told me we've probably raised about three, two or $3,000. You know, people said, hey, you know, when are you going? This is going to happen. So anyhow, do what you need to do. Basically, this will be the last Sunday. I don't leave till Friday, so, you know, if you give online and, you know, you guys get the 100 all that money, it's what it's for. It's tagged, and it is blessing the people. Back there, you know, all the complainers need to go with me to Cuba. So if you're a complainer, start saving your money because you will be delivered from complaining when you come back. You'll appreciate toilet seats, toilet paper, bottled water, <laughs> all kinds of stuff that we take for granted. So glory to God that God has called us. You know, as, as hard as this thing is in Cuba, 
you know, the church is doing its part, and, and the church really has become such a hub. You talk about the church being involved in society. You know, the church, we're working, the ones we're building, supporting the farm that we bought, all this stuff. They're feeding 200 people a week. And that's not just the church, you know, within that community, because things are really, really, like I said, I don't even want to go on because most of you couldn't even. The amount of lack is, in, in, is unreal right now. The government is basically in free fall. Um, their inflation is up to 800%, which, you know, you go today to the store, if this costs, you know, a peso tomorrow, it could cost two pesos. There's no control. And the people that have the items, they can ask whatever they want to. So if you have something that people want. So if you can imagine in Cuban money where a and I just want to say this so people kind of get an idea of what, why, why we do what we do. Your, the Cuban salary, you know, for, because government, you know, that's communism 101 to the max, is $30 a month, U.S., okay? Get your head around that. Right now, a dozen eggs, I'm, I'm talking in U.S. dollars, not, not Cuban peso. Right now, as, as I speak this week, because I talked to Yoel this week, a carton, you know, a dozen eggs is about 8 bucks. So you're making $30 a month, 12 eggs cost $8. Now keep that in perspective. Um, if they can find milk, they're probably paying, back there it's, the gauge is a liter, so, you know, if you, if you figured a gallon, you're probably paying $15 a gallon in Cuba right now. And you're making $30 a month. So there's no way this thing works. So anyhow, pray about your part. That's all I'm asking you to do. I'm not asking you to do anything else. And if God prompts you to do something, you know, we have the rest of the week to do it. So anyway, that's what's going on down there. Thank you, guys. Let's get into the Word, see how far we get with the clock. So part two on this um, series that I started and try, you know, it all got started with this scripture. So if you go with me to John chapter 16, and today we're going, you know, we broke down, you know, Jesus said, in this world you'll have tribulation. You know, you don't, you don't want to start a conversation with anybody like that. Like, hey, how you doing? Guess what? You're going to have a lot of trouble. No. And, but he says, that, and says, I have told you these things. And he really talks about, if you, if you go back and, you know, get it in context, he's really talking about stuff that they're going to do, persecution they're going to experience. But then he, then he summarizes it with this idea. He says, in this world you will have trouble. King James says persecution. I mean, tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So last week I kind of introduced a series with, what is this idea of trouble? What is this idea of tribulation? Well, you know what it is? It's called life. That's all it is. And life is filled with these things. So the slide that I, I didn't put it this week, but the, the slide I played with last week was I broke up these things. Instead of saying, in this life you'll have tribulation, in this life you'll have a family. You'll have sickness. You'll have, you know, uncertainty. You'll have betrayals. You'll have backbiting. You'll have stabbing. You'll have divorce. You'll have strife. You'll have unanswered questions. You'll have rebellious kids. That's what he was referring to. Because when we read it, oh, this I will have persecution. Well, last time I checked, nobody's persecuting you. I mean, I mean, Americans, I love you guys, and I'm an American, I love my nation. But when, when Christian Americans talk about persecution, they posted something on Facebook. Really? Okay. I'll share about my, <laughs> you know, those, those pastors that serve in Muslim nations. Then you, you have a whole different revelation on persecution. But then he goes on and says, but take heart, I hope overcome the world. So that's really what this is. And, and one of the things that I was, um, you know, thinking about a few weeks ago is, you know, why do people come to church? Why do people stay in church? And why do people leave church? Well, you know, there's a, that is a very complex subject. 
And, you know, I'm sure there's not one answer to that. But, you know, most people come to church because we can't figure out life. Can I hear an amen? We've done it. We tried the best we could. Or maybe you were born into this, you know, either way. But, you know, a lot of us, me included, you know, I grew up in this. But then I took, you know, 12-year, 14-year detour into the world. But when I came back to God, you know, I came back for very selfish reasons. I came back because my life was a mess. Nobody? You guys, life, you just came to learn about the Bible. I'm sure you, that's the reason you're here. Most of us came because we exhausted all our possibilities on fixing things. And somewhere on the past, somebody says, hey, there's this, this one thing called God, Jesus. Try this. And some of us decided to try, not religion. Amen? Not religion. We tried it. We got to figure things through. And guess what happened? Things started to kind of work. Nothing was perfect. But what happened is you got balance in your life. Like Marco said, no one's perfect. And that's really, so lifing, when I use the word lifing, this scripture is really about lifing. You know, this is about, in this life, you're going to go through stuff. So here's the thing. Why do people come to church? They need Jesus. Why do people stay in church? Because life, and life questions are being answered. When life questions stop being answered, then you go into the third category, people don't need it. You know, in all the years, almost 30 years of doing this, you know, in two years, it'll be 30 years of full-time ministry, I can count them in one hand. I could count them in just a couple fingers at this point that somebody actually asked for pastoral counseling because they wanted to know about the Bible. I mean, like, hey, Pastor, can I talk to you? And I said, sure. Can you explain this passage? Or can you? Okay, I love that stuff. Trust me. 99% of all the counselings were about life. I'm depressed. I want to kill myself. I'm mixed up. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where my kids are. I'm on drugs. On and on, I've been, you know, I don't want to say we got kids in the audience, you know, hard, dark situations. That's what people were seeking. Are you here this morning? So, really, God's word was about this thing called life. You know, in heaven, you don't need it. Anybody? You know, we're, we have this idea, well, in the sweet by and by, and, you know, the pie in the sky. Trust me, when you get to heaven, you don't need any of that. You're just there. You know, you're, you're done. In other words, you're done with this. So what is all this? Well, it's really about how do you take the truths and put them into real life, in real life situations, not a bunch of, you know, fantastical ideas about what God does or what God doesn't do, but more of how can I manage my marriage? How can I stop divorce? How can, you know, how can I not go down this path? That's what God came to do. That's what Jesus made. So says, yes, you're going to go through some stuff and have peace. Because the peace is not going to come just, okay, I got peace. I'm going to go into some Zen Buddha. Mm, I got peace. No, I'm going to have peace because there's going to be truth, What you were talking about, Michael, truth deposited into me that once I get out into that cold, hard world, I can apply it. Amen? All right, so anyway, I'm going to take a long time on the introduction. Like I said, I don't even have a clock this morning to even try to think I'm going to finish this. Let's go. So in this life, today's subject, we're going to deal with conflict. How, you know, because the number one and number two reasons that most people are up in a knot is finances and strife. Amen? And not understanding conflict, and not understanding strife, and under, un, not understanding that spirit is one of the greatest killers of spirituality in your life. And here, maybe this is not you, this has been me, but I'm thinking of somebody that I knew, well, I know, I, you know, they're no longer with us, you know, meaning they're still on earth. They're just no longer with us, okay? So, oh, they passed away, no, they just left. But it was like one level of hyper-spirituality, at least in performance, uh, in, in expression. But at the house, it was a mess. And that is really hard on your kids. 
parents, listen to me. Grandparents, listen to me. That's super hard on a child that is forming for you to have one, if I can put it, church personality and then go home and have a completely different personality. That's going to mess up your kids in their spiritual walk. When they need an excuse not to go to church, they'll use you. Amen. So this is a responsibility. So we have to make sure, you know, obviously we're in a spiritual environment. I talked about that last week. You know, when you come to church, you know, you feel the presence of God. You know, you're, you're with like-minded people. And really, right this second, we don't have any problems. Think about it. In the present. You might have something waiting for you in the future, future being an hour from now. But in the present, we don't have any problems. Well, what happens? Why can't we just transfer this presence, our present presence, into our everyday activities. That's what this series is about. It's how do I... And so this point to me is one of the biggest ones. On, on a personal note, again, I said a lot of this last week, we, we fought this devil tooth and nail for many, 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 many years. All different variations in our family, immediate family, extended family. And glory to God, you know, or at least our family today. You know, my, both of my kids, my wife, grandbabies, everybody. I'm telling you, there, there is absolutely... Within that unit, there's like no fights, no arguments. I can't remember the because and where it used to be not like that. Anybody can relate to that? Everything was picking, fighting, and, and we're supposed to be Christian families, and everybody's at each other's throat. This is not the message, right? You guys are like, is this the message? Some of you are like, I'm, I'm not connecting, Pastor. Oh my God! How many did, dealt with the Sunday morning devil this morning? Anybody? Get to church, we're going to church. You know, your head's spinning, you're spitting green stuff. You're all fighting in the car, and when you come in, oh, glory to God. Oh, you forgot to put your horns down. Crunch them down, because I can still see them popping out of your head. We know this thing is real. We know that that spirit comes and just abolishes and destroys. So let's go into the Bible, and the time I have, again, I don't think I can finish this, and I might just pick this up when I get back. So... Um, let's go. To, let's just move on. Let's go to Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter five is really so many life lessons, and it would take us. And you know, we'll stay around this. But here, I, I'm going to kind of pick through the passage. So I'm going 17, 18, 25, 27, and 30 and 32. So the ones I took out, you know, don't get all up. You know, you go read them. It really is about don't steal and all kinds of stuff. So if you're stealing, don't steal. All right. <laughs> so let's just kind of let's just kind of get the flow because I want to hit one thing. He's, he's dealing with this idea. Of conflict. So, so tell us this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now that phrase right there is really key to understanding the whole passage. Because he kind of hit he kind of mentions that on and on. You know, he doesn't just he brings it up in the next word. They are darkened in their understanding. So once again he says, thinking, they're darkened in their understanding, and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Now pay attention, to, now we're going to jump to 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. I'm going to talk about that here in a moment. Which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And then, you know, verse 23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Okay, let's stop there. Just, I don't want to park there, but I just want to take a brief. So if you go up to the first scripture that we're looking at, in the futility of their thinking. So, so Paul starts by saying, hey, there was a, they, before Jesus, you used to think a certain way. And that way of thinking was futile. And futile basically means it doesn't, it it's basically has a dead stop. In other words, if you're working on something that is pointless, that's the word. Amen? 
you know, I, I can think of hundreds of examples of something pointless that you're doing that has no purpose. That's what the, you know, that word means. So when you, when you look at this, he says, they think of a way that really has no purpose beyond what they're thinking. That's because this is really the key to conflict. And I'm going to leave that hanging. So when you get down to what you're supposed to do, he says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. In other words, the way you were thinking, which creates actions. Your thoughts create actions. So that's your way of life. Your way of life did not just appear. Your way of life came from your thinking process and your culture and so forth and so on. But he goes on to say, to be, to, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Look at the person next to you just so we break the eyes and say, hope you got a good attitude this morning. Just go ahead and smile. I hope you got a good attitude this morning, all right? Because attitude <laughs> in your minds. Do you know, I don't know a whole lot about, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to fly an airplane. I almost decided that's about the only thing I don't know how to drive. And I don't know if you drive airplanes, you fly them. And H and I, remember, we were, we were like all gung-ho. We were going to take pilot. Probably a good thing. We'd probably be dead by now because, anyway. But there is altitude gauge, which tells you how high you're going, how low you're going. But there's another gauge in the airplane, which I found interesting. It's called the attitude gauge. It's, a, it's actually a gauge. It's actually a thing. And that tells you what the nose is doing. And it basically tells you how the airplane is behaving. And you see that big old, you ever see a Jesse big, big old round cone? That thing is full of sensors and computers. And that's what the, these things cost millions and millions. That, that little cone is basically what keeps you alive. It reads everything that's happening. That's where the attitude is. And the attitude determines how it behaves. So that, I don't want to spend a lot of time, but that is an interesting idea because you've got a bad attitude. You've got a good attitude. But attitude is a mind condition that is based on perspective. Remember that. All right. Give me the next one. We're, we might come back to that. Just, so let's break this down. We're gonna, I might come, if I have time, I'll come back to that. I really want to pick through that, but I do want to get into at least something that you can take home because, you know, this sermon's like three pages long, so I'm not going to try to finish it by no means. Okay, so let's define strife. Because that, like I said, that is the number one to me. You know, first of all, the Bible says where there is strife, there is what? Every. Every. There's two things <laughs> in the Bible that I find that the devil loves. He loves to hang out in these ones. Strife and love of money. Not money. Money's just money. Money's just money. Money doesn't have personality. But he says, the love of money... And strife. So, James 4.1 says, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? And then he says this one, Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? So now he's identified where this thing is at. So, this sounds really, you know, King James, real, you know, real <laughs> strong, evil desires. But if you break that into modern translations, it really is attitudes. So you could read it this. What is causing quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from attitudes that war within you? So if I just took that evil desires because such a whole you know, big religious Bible word and just stuck the word attitude, will that change it for you a little bit? Will that help you a little bit to say, don't they come from the attitude or, in other words, the perspective of the situation? So when we deal about conflict resolution, this is really, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like teaching where the answer, but I don't want to get there quite yet. But strife is something that all of us are familiar. Strife is contention, it's fighting, it's division. And, you know, James says, you know, he's going to talk more. James spends a lot of time. Do you realize that the Bible from the Old Testament 
And I didn't count them all because it takes a lot of time, and I try to Google it and nobody knows. But I came up at least over 40, 40 scriptures. That's a lot of scriptures. 40. At least 40. It could be more. That strife is specifically talked about. I mean, when the Bible talks 40 times over a subject, you think you should pay attention. So, you know, when we talk about life and how does this apply, we have to know how to deal with conflict. That's something I didn't know how to do. I didn't even know how to do that as a Christian. I got one better. I didn't even know how to do that as a pastor for many years. And, and I'm going back to, you know, toxic thinking or things that were unresolved in my, you know, growing up phase and my teenage, crazy teenage phase that I was, you know, hog wild. And a lot of anger and a lot of wrong perspectives came in with salvation. Not with the salvation, but in other words, salvation doesn't eliminate them. You with me? This is a false thing you've got to think. When you accept Jesus in your heart as your Savior, the only thing that's connected to God is your spirit. you still got all the luggage. you got all the hang. Everything that came to the moment you said, Jesus, it's still here. It is supernaturally. Whoosh. Now you have salvation, and you have the Holy Spirit. And don't take that lightly, because now you have Jesus, you have the Word, you have, and that's going to help you deal with all this stuff. So a lot of people say, if I get saved, all my problems are gone. That's the biggest lie in the world. Because and then that scripture that Jesus said would be a false, right? So, and I'm kind of all over the map. So let, let's keep breaking out. Give me the next one. And here's a good one. James chapter 3, same guy. And by the way, James was, his real name was Jacob. And they should have just call it Jacob. I don't know where they wanted James. But, and he was half-brother to Jesus. So this guy has a, and he didn't follow Jesus till after Jesus resurrected from the dead. So he wasn't a Christ follower. Imagine growing up with Jesus. Imagine Jesus being your big brother. Come on, guys. That would be, like, so difficult. Can't you just be like your brother? <laughs> I know. <laughs> he's God. I can't do that. All right. Here we go. James chapter 3. So he's got this really interesting perspective. I'll give you a little background on James. Who is a wise man? Everybody wants to believe they're wise, right? So who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of good conversations his works with meekness of wisdom. And here it comes, the big one. But if you have bitter... Envying and strive in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. Wow, this is going to impact a long, take a long time to impact. This wisdom, I'll explain that in a moment, descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion. Are you ready for this one? And every evil work. So do you have a responsibility over this? Of course you do. You have a responsibility over identifying it and managing it. Not the person that is coming against you or you're coming against. That's not their responsibility. It's your This is a very personal responsibility. So he goes on to say, you know, but the wisdom that is from above. So he's really talking about two wisdoms. Well, doesn't that just kind of line up with Ephesians 4, futility of your mind? The futility of your mind, the wisdom that you believe is the correct wisdom. That's the wisdom that everyone in this room, including me, think that we know everything we need to know about what we need to know. But as soon as you find out that you don't know something, you either learn it or you make a big mistake. Right? Because everybody thinks they got it together. Everybody thinks they got life figured out. And the truth is we don't. So the, the, the futility of the mind is that idea that, you know, I think I got all this. So he's, he's, he, you know, he's, he's referring, obviously James is not the one that wrote it, but that is the same reference. So now you, you go to the wisdom that is above. So God is saying there is a wisdom that is earthly. Take this, you know. There is a wisdom that is heavenly. 
The earthly wisdom, because we can see it on the news and we can see it in the world and we can see it in the war and we can see it everything, is this. I have a position and you need to agree with my position. And if you don't agree louder with my position, I'm going to fight you to either you leave my life or you agree with my position. You see that? That is the world's strife. And that evolves from a marriage to trying to take over Ukraine. That, that starts from parent relationship to overthrowing a nation. Strife fuels this thing. Because you have a wisdom. You say, I'm right. You see, when you're in an argument, especially as a believer, or, or one of those situations over your life, your family, nobody wants to accept they're wrong. Like you don't want to accept right now. If you're sitting next to your husband, your wife, you're probably, the woman thou hast given me, Lord, I can't help it. Now he talks about God's wisdom. Now this will be, like I said, just kind of take the notes you have because we're going to stop when the clock stops, all right? But the wisdom that is from above. So now he's going to tell you what you really should be pursuing. He says there's a wisdom on earth that all you have to do is walk outside. It's everywhere you go. I mean, you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off and what do you do? Well, you guys are so holy, you tell them which way is heaven. Turn down your Christian music, flick them off, and then turn it right back up. You guys are very serious. All right. The wisdom that's above is first is pure. So right there, you can't mess this one up because it's not your wisdom. Then it's peaceable. God will never deliver nothing into your life that doesn't have a path to peace in some form or fashion. Even the stuff that hurts at the end has peace for your life. Glory to God. Uh, this wisdom is gentle. Now, Mexicans, we got in trouble with this one because we don't know what... In, 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 you know, Latinos, you know how we are. We win arguments based on volume. True. We don't win based on facts. Whoever is the loudest wins. And usually women, they got that one. Not always, but most of the time. So gentleness. Imagine the next conflict you have in your marriage, in your workplace, with your kids, with yourself. What happens if you went into that with an idea of gentleness and peace about it? Yes, it's a rough subject. We've got to talk about it. But can we talk about it from this wisdom? Do we have to talk about it from that wisdom? Because that's what we all do all the time. Amen. You guys aren't, you just, I say amen, you guys grunt. Amen. <clears throat> all right, I'll take it. Because, you know, here it says, so let's play it out. We're in church, having a good time with Jesus. Go home, something goes off, and the discussion starts with your husband and your wife or your kids, or whoever. Most of the time, we lean into the top one. I'm right. And I'm going to make sure you understand I'm right. Because I know I'm right. Now, you could, you, could, you could blow the house down to prove they're right, and that's what a lot of people do. They burn the whole mountain, and yes, you're right, but your mountain's devastated. Nobody wants to be around you anymore. And you're right. You are 100% right, but your kids are gone, your wife is gone, even the dog doesn't want to be around you. So, what, so is, it, is this about being right? That's the wisdom of the earth. I'm, I'm, I'm right. If I have to pull a scorched earth on this situation, I am right. Isn't that what we're seeing in politics today? No conversations. 
Nobody wants to talk about anything. I'm open for conversations. Even as a Christian, as a pastor, I'm open to hear every side. And I do. I read every side. I, I listen to atheists. I listen to the LGBT community. I listen to everybody because I want to hear everything. That doesn't skew me because my, my values are based on this. So I'm, I, can, I can listen to anybody and not be... Because Christians, what are you scared of? Christians are, you know, they're, they're, they're scared of like stuff like, no, you should be right in the middle trying to find out what the conversation is. So I don't know. Okay. So, you, so here, I don't want to spend a lot of time, but this whole passage is two wisdoms. So he goes on, you know, he just breaks it down. Easy to be entreated. Something that is easy. It's full of mercy. Full of love. Full of God's love in this situation. Good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace to those that make peace. So in this passage, we find out what strife does. We find out that the, the, the dark strife is wisdom, earthly wisdom-fueled. And the response to that is heavenly wisdom. Again, these are like just like little points I'm going to set up. All right, let's go to the next one. And then we're going to talk a little bit with some of these things. <laughs> Proverbs 3. I'm just going to shotgun these three because I'm going to show you all the stuff it talks about. I want, I want you to get your attention on why you have to identify this spirit of, of, con, of contention, strive, however you call it. Proverbs 13, 9 through 10 says, The light of the righteous shines brightly, but the lamp of the wicked is snuffed out. Now pay attention to this next two these phrases. Where there is strife, there is pride. All right? Why do we get in fights? Because I don't want to lose it. It's going to hurt my pride. It's going to hurt my ego. Come on, you know the person that even though they're wrong, they'll still... I mean, you can show them pictures. You can roll out scrolls of evidence, and they'll just sit there, nope, because of pride. Proverbs 15, 18 says, A wrathful man stirreth up strife. Somebody that's anger. So we're going to talk a little bit about anger. If I don't get to it today, trust me, there's a whole sermon just on anger management. <laughs> that's a big one. A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeases strife. So once again, you know, one of the keys to not falling into is to be able to identify it. And that is such, because strife is such a seductive spirit. It's one of the sneakiest spirits. You know, if you're a Christian and somebody, you know, you're trying to live right and somebody is trying to throw you off into the bad part of town, more than likely you're not going to go because you're like, I'm delivered. But strife is not like that. Strife comes in, it tickles you, it says how good you are and how wrong everybody is and why you're so right and why everybody else is so wrong. And it just sits there and tickles you and it, and it doesn't come in with flames or fire, it doesn't smell like sulfur. It just is there and before you know it, you have a whole fire. James talked about it. He goes on and talks about the tongue. We're not going to go there yet this morning, but he talks about the tongue. So he goes, a wrathful man... And the source of strife, you know where it's at? It's right there, an angry heart. So we have heart issues now. The source of strife is found in an angry heart, for sin surrounds the life of a furious man. And the lady's like, whew, I'm off the hook. Now you're not. Let's, let's break these down really quick. So the first one, pride, is a good indicator that strife is not managed in your life. Anger that is uncontrolled, or you like to stir it up. Nobody does that? <laughs> this is that one service where nobody will admit to anything I say this morning. All right. Nobody's just like bored one day. Women are the ones that. We're busy, we got stuff to do. 
But you guys just sit there like, ah, oh, está bien callada la casa. And then you think, right? And then you plug in the combination and you just watch them go off. That's called stirring up strife, all right? Make sure you're not that person. Make sure, you, you know, sometimes we walk into things thinking it's a righteous cause, right? It's righteous. I'm going to say something. I'm going to do something that's very righteous. But as soon as you step into it, you know it's going to blow up. Has that ever happened to it? It's a righteous cause. I got to say something. I got to do something. But you know the moment you, you decided to move on that, the, the, everything in your body, the Holy Spirit says, no, 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 not a good idea. Don't tell her that. Ladies, help us a little bit. Don't you ever, ever again ask your husband, does this make me look fat? Ever. Because that, there's divorces that started with that, all right? You put us in a bad position because we're Christians. We're not supposed to lie, so we've got to find creative ways to tell you that you don't look good. That's called stirring up strife. You see, pastor, come on. It's little things, especially if you've been married for a length of time. They're little things that you pick up that you've you got to make decisions. I don't need to walk that path. That's wisdom. See, wisdom is not always about being right. Are you here this morning? Wisdom is not about always being right. So we find out the pride, the strife, and, of course, the anger. Let's move on. And I'm trying to get to one scripture that's so good. Um, 2 Corinthians, this is it. This is the one I was getting for it. So we're going to, like I said, wherever it goes, it goes. But we're going to meet. So Paul is dealing with this. The, Corinthian, the church in Corinth is a very, very interesting church. For, number one, it's a very rich church. It's, it's in, you know, Corinth. It's in Greece. Greece is one of the very wealthy cities in, at the time during the Roman Empire, so forth and so on. Number one, it's the hyper-spiritual. They got the, the Holy Ghost. They speak in tongues. They prophesy. But then they got this really bad sin. They got so much bad sin. Paul says, I I haven't even seen this sin in the heathen. And it has to do with some guy running off with his, like, his son's wife. You know, it's, it's like Jerry Springer, you know. What is this? This is, a, this is the church. This is what it is. So you think a church is messed up? Check out the church in Corinth. So he comes to says, and there's schisms, and there's fighting, and, they, there's, and you know, you got all this philosophy in Greece, so you got all these philosophers that converted to Christianity, and they're debating every single word and trying to analyze it and and a lot of the debate is they did not accept paul even though he started the church so a lot of times paul was trying to not really defend himself but like guys who do you think you are because you know one thing paul learned paul paul was not you know paul was an angry man as much as we respect him and honor him and i do he he could he get mad and i mean he he run mark off you remember mark the the gospel mark he ran him off he's i don't want him around later on he repents he says bring mark back it's, it's interesting, you know, Paul's story is interesting as a person. So he comes in <laughs> to this. This is such a good scripture. I'm afraid that when I come, pay attention to this, I may not find you as I want you. You want to know the reasons why we have so much strife in our families? It's right there. Because we go into situations, whatever that may be, many times with a false narrative, and many times with the decision of how this thing is going to play out already made in our head. So I want, I'm going to walk into this, but I want to find you as I want to find you. <laughs> I don't want to find you where you're actually at. Pay attention, church. Because everybody's dealing with their own monsters. 
Everybody's dealing with their own mountains. Everybody. And we can look so, you know, you know, we come to church, we look like we got it all together. You know, I dare say I don't want to talk about anybody, but I'll talk about myself. But I can dare say not everybody's got it together. There's something off here, there, you know, whatever it may be. But that's called life. And there's called solutions. So this idea, just when I was reading this, it just jumped out at me because, let me, let me finish. He says, I'm afraid that when I come, I may, I may not find you as I want you to be. And then he goes on to say, and you may not find me as you want me to be. So right off the get-go, there's, there's, there's division here. And he mentions this, I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, and fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. You would think that's like a bar fight. That's church. Paul's writing to the leadership of the church. This letter is not, he writes it to the church, but he sends it to the pastor of the church. So this is a, this is a minister, minister conversation. This is minister to minister. And you would think in minister conversation, you want to use all those words at the bottom, but apparently they were a, a thing he had to deal with. But what I really want to focus on, so he says, I fear that there may be discord. What is the discord? Now, he, the, the discord is what you see there. Discord is just one word, which means things are not where they need to be. They're off rhythm. They're off beat. You play a song and it's in discord, it's and somebody's off. So what he's saying is the discord is all this other stuff. So you could use the word discord to kind of summarize jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. So, question. So, Spash, that's really interesting about Paul and the Corinth church. How does this work in my life? Okay? How do you approach any conversation when you know the theme is something that could potentially blow up? Or it's something that has to be talked about? Or something that's very uncomfortable to talk about, but it has to be talked about. Or how do you carry yourself in every interaction with other people? Because if you're a person that has, you know, and that was me, because, I, I mean, I, I don't know, just the way I was, it's funny, when you say people were raised, I was joking with this with, with HH, and I raised myself, I just realized that, right? Like, all X generations, that's why we're so tough, because, you know, we raised ourselves. It's like, parents, what were that? You know, Show up, don't die. That's basically it. And we're out all day in the street. And you, and you learn things to protect yourself, and especially, you know, different lifestyles and not trusting anybody. And you have this rage, and you have this anger, and I carried heavy, heavy fits of rage and anger, you know, during the teenage season into when I finally got delivered. Where does this come from, right? Uncontrollable. And you see people go off, and you see people just completely have these, what we call meltdowns. Where's all this coming from? And, and he's going, you know, and, and, and the nut of it is, because strife summarizes jealousy. Well, James mentions that. Fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, you know, talking bad about people. Even, even though, even, slander basically means, even though you know it's true, you're still spreading it like gossip. You're slandering somebody. Amen. Fits of rage, selfish ambition. So, so, for, so let's go back up to that one line, because this is so, so key to understanding this. Because if, you know, like I said, the, the clock is running really fast. I'm afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be. In conflict resolution, let's, let's, let's get into some 
some points here so I can finish, at least give you something to go home with. In conflict resolution, it is very, 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 very important regarding whatever the conflict is. You, and boy, I'm, I'm telling you something that I learned hard way, but I learned it, thank God. And there's a couple things I learned. One of them is everyone has their point of view. And you have to respect that. It can be totally wrong. But for them, it is very important. Just like your point is very important to you, even though you could say I'm totally right, their point is very real for them. They could be totally wrong, and it's your job to convince them that they're wrong. You know, let's, say, let's, let's talk about parent-child. You know, you got, you're dealing with, say, with a teenager, not a little kid, someone that needs to understand some things. Well, you're not going to get a, really far if, if the way you communicate with that teenager is just scream and fight and throw and throw his stuff out and, you know, how do you know? Because I did it. It doesn't work. You have to understand that that person already has a position of whatever that position may be. So that idea is, I'm afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be. And I think that's a problem with a lot of conflict that we have, a lot of fights, is that we enter into this conversation. Think about some of these arguments that we get involved in. The whole argument is trying to convince the person to, to, to agree with you. And, and what's sad about that is that maybe, maybe you're supposed to agree with them. But you're so fixated on, on this one point that you're willing to lose it all. And, and um, that's, what I'm, that's what I mean to talk about scorched earth, that, yeah, I, I was right, but you don't have a family. I was right, but everybody left you. That's not being right. That's being stupid. <laughs> because at the end of the day, the only person that you can't have any control over is you, nobody else. Not, guess what? Not even your kids. Parents, this is a shocker. You have a control, I would say, maybe up to like, say, if you want to try, you know, out of psychology books, you know, they say the first five years are forming years. I would say about eight years old, you're going to have to accept that kid to make, you know, when he makes a mistake, there has to be forms of discipline that are not what, the way you used to discipline when they're three. You get me? Because when they're forming age, you know, don't do this, don't do that. But there's a point where you have to understand that they, God made them with a personality. Even the people that you're in conflict, maybe you're dealing with something at work right now. Guess what? That person, God made them with a personality. Years ago, very many, many years ago, and I was dealing with just all kinds of anger issues and just stuff that had to come against our family, blah, blah, blah. And I remember Joyce Meyer said something that just blessed me like a lot. And, and it just stayed with me. And it really, really, those are those, what I call those golden nuggets that just change your life in, in a perspective. And, and she said something to this effect. I might not quote it exactly right. She said, you need to learn where people are, what did she say? You need to learn what's the backstory, basically. You're in a fight with somebody, you know, or somebody just negative or having a bad day, and say, hey, look at these people. Let's play another scenario. Restaurant. You get a you know, waiter that has a bad attitude and is throwing stuff around and not acknowledging you. And so you, what is your response? <laughs> See if I give them a tip. Bring the manager. Oh, and, 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 hey, that's all fair. They've they got a job to do. They're getting paid. And we're not, not just fine. But what happens if maybe... You would just play with some ideas and say, maybe the waitress just got a really bad doctor's report. Maybe her teenage son just got arrested and is in jail, and she's got to work, but she's dealing with this. Maybe we could play a lot of maybes. 
But the idea of playing the maybes, it softens you up. It gives you a little bit of mercy. Because you're not just going to go, well, let me give you a piece of my mind. I'm like, most of you can't afford that. Anyway, I'll leave that one hanging. But no, as a Christian, you have a different standard. And that idea that you are already predisposed to find people how you expect them to be. So that waitress has to be all smiles and bubbly and super nice and refill instantly my glass of tea. You expect her to be. But you don't know if she had a hell of a day. And I mean not hell cousin, like hell of a day. Like every devil just showed up and she's got 10,000 issues. So I think that's where mercy comes in. And maybe she just has a bad attitude. Maybe there's nothing wrong in her life. But at the end, there is something that's causing her to be so sad. There is something, there is a scar, there is some pain in there, there is something that happened that caused her or him to be that way. And you as a believer have to have compassion. That doesn't mean you have to agree with them. But when you begin to carry yourself, instead of saying, well, I'm afraid that when I talk to you, you're not going to be H like I expect you to be. I need to come into conflict resolution and say, I'm here, but I'm here to listen to you. And I'm going to let you talk this whole thing through. But when you're done, you're going to listen to me. And we're not going to fight, and you're not going to interrupt me. And you set some little rules down, but you don't expect people to have any position prior to any conversation you have with them. Are you connected with this idea? Because this is really hard, because we have that predisposition to, to expect you to be in a certain way. You don't know what kind of you know, day they've had or what kind of month they've had. So, so consider this one. Consider always, what could that person be going through at this time to cause them to be like that? It could be nothing, but at, just by, by acknowledging that thought, you move into gentleness. You just give gentleness a little bit of space because you're not all, okay, let me get the gun out, right? You're like, okay, what's going on in your life, all right? Let's, let, me, let me give you a couple more. I'm gonna have, I might have to fast forward eight, um, RJ. Let's go to, well, let, let's just hit him. Let's just hit him. Timothy 1, 7. God has not given us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. You know, King James says, God has not given a spirit of fear. Well, that's King James, self-control. Others have the word temper and so forth. I want to focus on that idea of self-control because this is a whole huge subject, so I'm not going to try to bring it into everything, but at least into the idea of controlling your anger, controlling temper, and these things. So, for God did not give us a spirit of fear. So, right off the bat, you know, he did, and he gave you a spirit of power, dunamis power, explosive power, but he gave you a self-control. Now, if you don't have self-control, you're going to have to develop self-control from the angle of a spiritual gift. Not from a self-help book. You know, I'm not, I don't, I don't know... I have a lot of opinions about self-help books. I'd shut up. Self-control is the ability to control self. Oh, that's so deep. Can you, like, hit the fast, like, like the rewind really fast, RJ, to the very first slide, that that Ephesians slide? I want to show them this now, because I told you I was going to go back to it. Just keep hitting that. Okay, watch this. (laughs) There it is. Verse 22. We're talking about self-control, because that is really the key to anger management, strife. You were taught with regard to your former way of life. Okay? How were you (laughs) pre-Jesus? Right? (laughs) Some of you are like, no, I'm still the same. Okay, that didn't work out. 
You were taught with your regard or former way of life. In other words, when you come to church, you come to learn, right? And hang out and have a good time and worship Jesus. So, you, you know, maybe you never had a concept that stealing was wrong and you came to church and, hey, you're not supposed to take stuff that doesn't belong to you. Oh, I've been taught something that is different than my former self. I'm just using that as an example. Maybe you were, you know, nobody ever told you you weren't supposed to lie. You came to church, hey, you shouldn't lie. It's one of the commandments. Oh, maybe I should stop lying. Old guy, liar. New guy doesn't lie. So self, so, so same person, what's happening? You're identifying the older selves and actions, and, and if I get to that, triggers, that's another one I was going to touch upon, to the point where you say, these shouldn't be in the Christian life. And it could take a lifetime. And that's okay if it takes a lifetime, because at least you're on the path. Are you here this morning? I, you know, I, I joke about myself, because if I joke about you, you'll leave the church, right? But I joke about myself. And when I was dealing with anger... I've said it so many times, I'm going to bore you with it. I had zero fuse, zero fuse. You, you cut me off, I kick your door in. You know, thank God I, I didn't have guns back then, because who knows what would have happened. But, uh, I mean, it was really uncontrollable anger. Well, you become a believer, and, and the, what, the first things I came to Jesus about was anger, profanity, and lying. I was really good at all three. I mean, I would, like, make words up, all right? And God starts dealing with me. So, you know, the kind of profanity thing, you know, didn't take that long. Nowadays, you've got to be careful because you watch movies and it's, you know, every other word's an F word and you're doing something. Whoa, where'd that come from, right? <laughs> so, you know, lying wasn't such a big issue because most of my lies were to cover my lifestyle. I didn't really lie for any other reason. I was such a good liar. I'll tell you how such a good liar I was. Sometimes I would go and I would, you know, this is somebody like, old oh, pastor. No, that wasn't pastor. That was that guy. And I wouldn't come home for two or three days. And sometimes my wife would be like, Phew, so angry. She wouldn't kill me. Like, literally, there's a lot of stories there. And then I'd have to come up with a story. So I would make up a story that my car broke down, like, for three days, right? So before I got home, Lauro, I would open the hood, and I would grease my hands up. I would even put a little, few, little streaks on my face, a few spots on my clothes. Like, oh, no, no, it's because of my clothes. I don't need <laughs> I'm full of grease and oil. No, that's crazy stuff. But anyway, that's what he really, for all that former stuff, all that former stuff has really no place within the Christian walk. So a lot of those are very easy to get rid of, right? They're like, oh, I'm not going to do this. Yeah, yeah, that's really bad. But when it comes to this one, this is the big one, because this is the one that he said every evil work. So, so watch this. Self, you were taught with regard to your more way of life to put your old self, which is being corrupted, by deceitful desires, and then he goes in and switches it right back. So your self-control is control over your expression. All right? Go back, to, if you can fast forward to where we were. Because here's the thing, and I'm all over the map because that clock is just yelling at me to stop, so I'm gonna, I need to stop here in about 10 minutes. Emotions are not a bad thing. And, I was, you know, I could list all the different emotions. You know, emotions are simply expressions of feelings. Now, you can have toxic emotions, but they're not really toxic emotions. They'll be toxic feelings. Because emotion is just an expression. When you cry, it's not because you just cry. When you laugh, it's not because you laugh. I mean, if you just, like, every, like right now, if somebody just burst out laughing, you're like, oh, okay. It's an expression of a feeling. Okay? 
So if you have a, something, you know, something really good happens to you, oh, I'm happy. Something good had to happen first. So the emotion comes out. So one thing we don't want to do is quench emotions, but at the same time, you want to make sure they're controllable emotions. They're not, you know, what people say, oh, that guy's an emotional disaster. Okay. The other thing is, is anger something you want to get rid of? No. Because anger is one of those emotions that comes from feelings, which is actually not a bad emotion if it's placed in the right place. In other words, if the bear is running and it's going to eat you, you better get really angry and run really fast. <laughs> so, or you can get anger, somebody's attacking your family, and something comes up on you, and you've heard the stories of the adrenaline rush and all this thing, you know, that those anger, and the Bible says, it's a good one, he says, be angry and sin not. So there's a place where we can actually be angry and not be walking in sin. Now, don't tell me what it is because I haven't found it. But I'm saying anger is something that, that you don't want to say, well, I just need to get anger, because anger is what fuels strife. I mean, there's really no, they kind of, well, not really fuel, it just kind of goes together. You know, one starts and the other one kicks in and then the other one just kind of back buddies each other and before you know it, it's, it's a problem. Because it's really hard to say there is no strife or there is strife without anger. I don't think it exists. So emotions are just simply expression of feelings. So when you enter into conflict resolution, you've got to make sure that you understand that with whoever the conflict resolution is. Because usually, like, like, let's play a scenario. When you have conflict resolution in the workplace, it's way different than when you have conflict resolution in your marriage. Because in your workplace, you know, I mean, if you need the job, you're going to be very professional about your conflict. If you don't need the job, well, you just tell them what to do with the job, right? But in the marriage, it's so personal, and we know each other, and we've been together forever. But you know what? It shouldn't be that way. Because, like I said, that this idea of strife, you talk about lifing, you have to recognize it and you have to control it because too many good people are being destroyed by this. Too many marriages, you know, from a pastoral perspective, just too many, God knows how many counselings, marriage counsels I did, and the root cause wasn't, they were unfaithful, it wasn't even finances, it was simply strife. And sometimes the strife was so dumb because we would, we would filter it and they're like, Pastor, we're getting a divorce. Whoa, whoa, wait, why, why are you all getting a divorce? Well, And I never tell them, don't get the divorce, trust me. When somebody says, I'm getting a divorce, I never say no. I say, okay, let's talk about it. Why are you getting a divorce? Because if I say no, that just sets their position harder. But if I let them talk about it, and sometimes they they would talk and she would talk, and sometimes these counseling sessions would go for three hours, you know? And at the end, they would find out that it was the dumbest, most significant reason that they had gone on this path. Sometimes they couldn't even find, like, the the, the key. Because I'll tell them, so why, why, why are you here? Well, it's because she and he... No, no, no. What happened to bring you here? And sometimes they can't even remember. That's how, that's how crazy strife is. So remember, your emotions are something you need and you want and you should cherish. But you don't want them to, to go at the front end. Feelings are what you've got to focus on. So once again... Give me the next one. Once again, you go into this. So Proverbs 5.28, I want to give you some scripture. If you live without restraint which is the idea of not having control or lack of self-control, and are unable to control your temper. You're as helpless as a city where the broken-down defense is open to attack. Now, the, the, the first sign really is, it has a lot of insight. If you live without restraint, in other words, you just live your life with no controls, you are unable to control your temper. Okay? Let's switch it, Believers. Now you can live a life with restraint. Yes? 
Ay, se ven tan santitos ustedes. Oh, my God. You live a life with restraint. You don't party like you used to. You don't go out. I mean, you know, you don't do the dumb. You've put restraint. You, you've, you've done things in your life to hold you back a bit. You don't do, you don't express, you don't yell at everybody, you don't punch everybody out, you don't break everybody you, You've put restraint, so if you turn it, it would read this way. If you live life with restraint, guess what happens? You can control your temper. In other words, I, I've heard people say, I can't control my temper, Pastor. I've had, you know, 30 years you hear a lot of stuff. And then they, love, they like this one. It's because I come from a family. In other words, it's genetic now. Everyone in my family has, and, 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 and that could be true, and you were raised in a toxic environment, and you were raised in a violent environment, and since your creative years, all you heard was fighting and biting and throwing and punching and hitting, obviously that's going to form you. You're not going to get away from that. But I'm talking as a believer, that's where the Holy Spirit comes. Because you don't have to accept these things anymore. You don't have, you know, don't raise your hand, please, but if I say, who has a bad temper, I'm sure there's a couple people here that if they were brutally honest, they will raise their hand. And if you don't raise your hand, I'm sure the person next, sitting next to you will raise your hand. Because we don't want to say I have a temper. Well, is temper a bad thing? No. Again, somebody's attacking your family, you need temper. You need that energy. But he's saying restraint, in other words, self-control, doesn't, it's not just controlling, oh, I don't, I don't want to do this. It, it's also into your temper. In other words, temper simply means your demeanor. Can you put control can you put, you know, things in your life where conflict can be actually resolved and not end up in a big drama situation? Because, I, I mean, I see this a lot, guys. The reason I'm preaching this, guys, you know, it's, it's, it's very alive in the church. Okay, next one, let's go. Self-management or self-control, that's why I put it with a, with, together, is simply your, your ability to control your emotions. That's all it is. So, so I don't have control. no. What you're, what you're not controlling is the emotional arena. Then I already told you, well, how do I control that? Can you identify the feelings? Well, that's a hard one. There, there was some, there's something really interesting. Well, you guys aren't going to put up with me for two weeks, so I'm going to take a few more minutes. Is that okay? All right. How many of you here have heard something? If you haven't heard it, research it. It's super interesting. I'm going to teach around these past probably into next year because I want to teach it right. But there is a biblical perspective, and there's, an, there's a neuro, neuroscience, neurologist, neuroscientist, doctor. Her last name is Leaf. I remember that. Doctor, and she's, she's a doctor, but she's a believer. And she talks about, a lot about the neuroplasticity. How many have heard something like that? If you haven't, look it up. Neuroplasticity is super interesting. And I've been actually practicing some of it. And, and she has like this 21-day. So anyhow, the, the, the nutshell of this thing is if you find something in your in your thinking process that is wrong, that is toxic, that maybe you say, well, that's just the way when I was a kid, you know, that got planned. Well, she, from a complete scientific, what I like about her writing is she, she puts a lot of scripture. You know, she, she, she uses a lot of word, but when it comes to the, to the science, she sticks to it. She's a scientist, so she sticks to the science. So she's not trying to, like, you know, make a big soup of scripture and science and throw it at you. And she says that, you can create, through certain practices, that's why I'm, not, I'm not trying to teach this, so you can Google it later, new thought patterns, brand new ones. That's what's called neuroplasticity. In other words, you can create, and, and things like reading and playing instruments, so that you know, you're, you're bombarding your brain and it's, and it's creating little neurons and stuff, and, and they're filling with information. And, boy, this, I could spend a lot of time on this, because I've been reading a lot of it, and I don't want to. But the idea 
is in the Bible, which is called the renewal of the mind. So what science has discovered, God had already told us you could do it. In other words, you're not stuck with the way you think. It's not inheritance. Well, my parents were like this. My grandpa was like this. Even my dog was like this. Oh, that doesn't count. Because now God has given you something, a spirit of God in you, and you have the ability spiritually, and guess what? Scientifically, to change your thought process. Because you can create new. So if if you have a tendency to always be angry and mad, you can go through these exercises, and it has to do with what you speak, because you're always speaking over yourself. Say, oh, just what a bad day. Oh, I'm always sick. I'm always tired. That is creating these paths of, of negativity in your brain, which at the end of the day, when you have a conversation with somebody, you're so full of messed up that there's no way nobody can have a real good conversation with you because at some point you're just going to get mad. Because before even the conflict started, you were already angry. And you don't even know why you were angry because it's just in you. So anyway, that's, that's really interesting. But the, the scripture that supports that is Jesus said, don't be, I mean, Paul wrote, don't be conformed to this world. In other words, you don't have to take that shape in your thinking, which is, lines up completely to the idea of neuroplasticity. But he says, find God's, this is a really loose paraphrase, find God's purpose by the process of renewing the way you think. You know what, church? That includes every area of your life. So every time you went into a fight and argued about something, that has to be different now. That can't be, it can't be the old way. Amen? So anyhow, Ephesians 4, 26 says, In your anger, do not sin. So obviously anger is not something we're trying to get rid of. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And I like this one because don't give the devil a foothold. I mean, we're that three times, four times this morning, right? All right. <laughs> if I can finish this. Ah. Go, RJ. Go. We can do this, RJ. James 1, 19 again. Here come, you guys wanted a, a conclusion to the sermon? Here it is. Start taking notes because it tells you how to... How to how to fix conflict resolution right here. It says, my dearest brothers and sisters of Faithway. Oh, it doesn't say that. Take this to heart. In other words, pay attention. Take this to heart. Make this something important in your life. That's what that means. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak. And slow to become angry. I don't know about, at least, you know, <laughs> it seems like we got it completely upside down because we're really fast to talk. <laughs> we're really fast to sp- no. We're really we're really slow to listen. Anybody? We're really fast to talk, and we're really fast to get into anger. And he said, "Don't do that. Do it the other way." And the process is very simple. Listen. So so conflict resolution starts. If you're taking notes, you need to learn to listen. This is way up in my notes further down, but I'll throw them out there right now. Every Story has more than one side. I used to say two sides. It could have three sides. It could have four sides. It depends who saw it and how they process that. So we need to learn to listen. And, and those things you learn, especially in counseling, because in counseling, you know, the person that wants the counseling wants you to agree with them most of the time. It's funny how these counseling sessions work because the one that sets up the counseling is like for me to like really straighten her out or straighten him out. And the way it usually ends up, they get straightened out and they don't come, they just leave the church at that point. I'm just kidding. But um, here's the thing. Here are just, can you listen to the person? Before, you know, because, man, we're the worst. We're fixers. Man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you, because, you know, we're, we're trying to get all our men out of the caveman thing, okay? You need to learn to listen. 
Did I write it? No, no, just listen. Just shut up and listen. Because men are like this. My wife would say, um, the dishwasher's not working. Oh, okay, I got to go do something else. I'll fix it. I'm the man. But there was a lot more conversation that needed to happen after the dishwasher wasn't working. Because we're, no, 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 no. I got it. Don't, you don't do that. You got to listen. You got to learn to listen. And, and whenever, even in, in whatever conversation, even if it's a professional situation, make sure you listen before anything. Listen to the other side. Marriage, you want some marriage advice? Two words, respect and listen. You want your marriage to be, you know, my wife and I are, you know, I don't want to get this one wrong, 37 years? The reason we haven't killed each other is because somewhere along the path we learn to listen and respect. So those two ideas, you know, really work together into this, to this thing. So he says, be quick to listen. Because you know what happens when you listen to another per- person? A lot of your preconceived ideas about that situation are going to be dissolved in the conversation. There's a guy that just, it just, it's happened to me twice. And there's a guy I, I, I respect as a musician. He's one of my, I'm not going to say band names or whatever, you know, secular band back in my day just as a musician. I just think the guy's a genius. But I never liked him because of his political stance and some of the stuff that I thought. I thought he stood for. Well, there was an interview with him, and I'm like, yeah, I'll listen to this. It was a really long interview, like two hours. And I began to listen to him. And he's up there in his 70s, this gentleman, amazing musician, whatever. And I, once I listened to what he had to say, it completely changed. I'm talking, this happened four or five days ago. It completely changed how I view this guy. Completely. I'm like, wow. I couldn't stand you till I listened to you. Now I understand your position. And I kind of, and you know what's really weird, Laura? I kind of somewhat agree with it. Once he explained why the criticism in his life was, because I just went with the criticism. Well, he's anti this, he's anti that. And I'm like, well, that's too bad because he's such a good musician. But then once I heard him, I'm like, wow, that scripture is the truth. So if you start, whatever situation you go home this afternoon, can you begin by listening? Even if it's the same rant that you've heard 45 times, hear it again. Hear it again. Let your wife speak her peace. Let your husband speak his peace. Let him finish. And, and, and you can actually, are you done? Are you done? Can I talk? You can use the talking stick. We used to almost have to have meetings like that. I remember, where was it? I, I think it was in Ukraine with these pastors. Oh, my God, when we were working, actually, in the areas of Lugansk, where Russia took over all that. Man, these guys would love conflict. That may, Russia can have those guys, man. They were just troublemakers. All <laughs> of these guys, that's right on the border with Russia. And they were just all arguing and yelling and screaming. And it was like that. You know, you couldn't get anything across with them. Because, hey, nobody listens. It's time to listen. Are you getting something out of it this morning? Okay, let's go, RJ. We're almost done. Stop being angry. Turn from rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. I wish I would have written that, but it was the psalmist. Turn from rage. That is so simple. The more you identify the spirit of strife, you'll have more time to turn. Because it's so hard to turn when you're in the thick of it. It's so hard to turn when you're in the, ah, and everybody's yelling. So before you see it, you can turn. Sensible people control their temper. How many sensible people are here? Híjoles. I, I was trying to give you guys a way out, but not Sensible people control their temper. So you could say stupid people don't. <laughs> they, owe, they learn respect. 
Look at that last line. That's what I told you about, that you don't always have to be right. They learn respect by overlooking it. Even though the situation is wrong, there's no reason to fight it because I know that there's no point in arguing that. So I'll just overlook it. And you'll find out how much more peace you're going to have in your marriage, in your relationship, because that's the, that's the key. We're right, Pastor. We're right. So, overlooking wrong. That's what it, overlooking wrongs, that's exactly what it means. It means, I know you're wrong, but I know there's nothing in my life that's going to fix it. So I'm just going to overlook it. Let's talk about something else. Let's still be friends. Let's have a good time, even though I know that you know that I know that you have a huge monster problem in your life, but it's none of my business, right? That's called overlooking. Last, I mean, next one, almost done. Self-awareness is the first step to self-control. So last one is self-awareness. I already used the scripture, but I'm going to use it one more time. Self-awareness is being aware of yourself. That's not a deep word. And that is the key. He said, Pastor, you said the key to like 45 things this morning. Okay, they're all keys, right? It's like a big old keychain of keys. But at the end of this, you'll have peace in your relationships. And you'll have a home that you'll be glad to go to. You'll have a home that people will want to go to. Because as soon as you walk in, the presence of God is there. You see, the presence of God lives in peace. That's where he lives. I mean, he can't, actually, he can't live anywhere else. Because his presence is peace. So a family that kids, everybody's you know, in rhythm in a house, you can immediately feel the presence of God. You walk in there, wow, this is what... And especially people that don't know God, they're like... Why is your house so peaceful, you know? And then you get a chance to witness. But, you know, you've been in those houses where you walked in and right after somebody had a fight, anybody? And, and everybody put the mask on? Back in the day when I used to do pastoral visits when I lived in Heavenville, <laughs> it was hilarious. Sometimes just random, I'd go to somebody's house. And you could almost hear like, ah. oh, pastor. And they're like, like so red of all the anger. And the energy in the room is so thick. Come on, people. Don't tell me you've never felt that. You're like, oh, you guys are happy? Why does it feel so, like, haunted house-ish, right? This is really weird, you know? And that is, those are spirits. You know, a a house of the presence, it's a spirit of peace of God. A house full of strife is a spirit of Satan. I mean, that's pretty blunt, but that's what it is. So self-awareness is the first self-self-control. Why? Because a self-awareness is that. God did not give you that. God did not cause strife. God did not bring strife. God did not bring division and dissension into your life. That's self-aware. If it's there, it's nobody's fault. We're like halfway through the teaching and my clock's done. I'm, I'm one, one slide and I promise you I'll be done because we need to move on. We'll pick it up in a few weeks. Don't, don't switch yet, RJ, because I just want to go to one. Okay, I guess it's the next one. Go to the next one. Okay, well, skip that. I didn't, I didn't put it. This is what I put. You must own it before you can manage it. And this is, it's not, I should have left that as a slide. And I put a little in in quotations, these ideas. Have you ever said this, ladies? He makes me so mad. Men, she makes me so mad. When I see her, I get so jealous. This place irritates me. Any conversation, anything sound familiar? Guess what? Nobody... Nobody can make you mad. Nobody. You make yourself mad. Okay? Nobody. No, nothing makes you mad. You make yourself mad. What the behavior chain, gosh, this is, I'm going to have to do this fast, is very simple. There's a trigger. So if you can identify the trigger, 
you can control the thought. Because the trigger will create the thought, and the thought will create an action, and the action will have consequences. So next time you say something, oh, she makes me so mad. No, she doesn't. There's something about her that your personality is skewed towards that. But it's not the person's fault. They're just the person. Now, they might be, you know, total, you know what, but at the end of the day, nobody can make you nothing. You make yourself mad. You make yourself happy. You make yourself depressed. I'm not talking about some clinical medical depression. I'm talking about sitting there and thinking about enough negative stuff till you finally don't want to even get out of bed. Right? So the, tr- the, the behavior change to resolving conflict is never, never, ever in somebody else's responsibility. Well, Pastor, what if they just yell at me? It's still your responsibility. How do you respond? Amen? All right. I think I'm going to have to stop there because our clock is on. Go ahead and stand with me, and we'll just leave it at that. There's no... There's no f- Give, give me, uh, go forward, Arjix. I want to take a screenshot of this. Just keep going forward. Right there, right there. Stop. Learn to listen. We're going to summarize it. What else did we learn this morning? Every story has more than one perspective. Number three, before you go scorched earth, what is the end result? A couple things to help you resolve conflict. Do the right thing. Not according to your idea. Do the right thing according to Jesus. Amen. Remind yourself that getting angry is not going to fix anything, that it, won't, that it won't make you feel better, and may actually make you feel worse. And the last one is logic defeats anger, because anger, even when it's justified, can quickly become irrational. Remember that? So use cold, hard logic on yourself, your self-awareness. Make sure that your argument... I mean, you, I don't even want to go down the story. Some of these arguments go so crazy with the stuff that we pull out. Last two, you avoid it. Sometimes not that easy, but if you can avoid strife... Be a peacemaker. Remember last week we learned? Hunt peace. And the last one is use God's grace. What does that mean? When somebody has offended you, when somebody has hurt you, all you have to do is the same grace that God gave you, just turn it back on them. Amen? Just forgive people for their imperfections because you're just as imperfect as them. Did you get something out of it this morning? Sorry for the rush, but I just wanted to finish with this. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you where the word has gone. And Father, we just thank you this day has been so rich with everything we've learned. I thank you, Father, that as we are here and we're standing in your presence, Lord, that anybody that's dealing with conflict, with strife in their marriage, with strife, Father, maybe in their workplace, where, Father, situations, maybe there's a relationship with a, with a child or an older child that is not in a place. Father, I believe that we don't just come here to get information, that there's an anointing in this building this morning, that people that are dealing with strife, people that are dealing with uncontrollable emotions, Father, that they can take your presence and your word this morning. Father, I pray for our online audience, the same thing. That, Father, any marriage that is under a storm cloud right now of division and dissension, I pray peace. I pray that an avenue of communication will come forth and that, Father, people will speak to each other. I thank you, Lord, for this message. I thank you, Lord, for the peace of God that passeth all understanding. I call them blessed in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. You may be seated for a minute. Hey, Jade, come here. Well, hey there. Don't be shy. I know a lot of people are watching us, but don't be shy. There, you made it. Isn't she adorable? Aw. Hey, babe. Say hi to everybody. Well, I've already talked about Cuba, so I don't have anything else to say. Again, thank you guys for all your support. Um, like I said, I don't leave till Friday, so anything else you want to do, you know, 
we're also taking um, the, the medicine stuff and all that. We still have, I'll be here Wednesday. I'm thinking I'll be here Wednesday because the school keeps doing stuff on Wednesdays. That's why I've been missing Wednesday nights. But um, if not, just get with Kathy or some of them, and they can drop them off. And I'll, at some point in the week, I'll come and pick up whatever we have. And, again, thank you guys for your support. Um, if you want to give, there's some information on the screen. There's an envelope next to you. And um, I don't know what to tell you, you know. Keep me in your prayers. I'm going with Pastor Dan, um, some people from his team. This, this trip, I'm going by myself. Last time I took a team. And anyway, just keep us in your prayers. And, um, you know, we'll bring back a very good report from what we're doing down there. So there's your information. Again, thanks for everything. And I know there's something this after here. We'll go into the next building, I guess, from what I understand. So rise one more time. And you are going to be dismissed. Father, we thank you, sir, for the word. We thank you, Lord, for everything that you've brought to say. We take this seed and we sow it into the work of the kingdom. We sow it into the work in Cuba. And, Father, I just thank you right now, Father, that this trip is blessed of the Lord, that blessed I will be going over there, blessed I will be coming back. We pray over all the unrest and all different situations there that it will not affect us or the conference in any way. I pray for Pastor Yoel, his family, his team getting ready for this conference. And I give you glory, and I thank you, Lord, for the things you've called us. Until I see him again, I pray the peace of God that passeth all understanding go with them wherever they may. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. God bless you guys. Amen. Amen.